Hey, welcome, friends. Today marks the 50th episode of the Preacher's Kid 2020 podcast, courtesy of Anchor.com, which has opened outlets through popular platforms in this world of cyberspace for wannabes like me. (laughs) This particular podcast also marks the first presentation by a special guest contributor. Special in that he's like a third brother to my little brother and me. Kent Nussie is a preacher's kid also, whose father left the ministry, as did my dad, to take a position at Houghton College in, yes, Houghton, New York. Not Western New York City, but Western New York State. (laughs) Just let you clarify things. Lower western portion of the state in the impoverished county of Allegheny, south of Buffalo, within the infamous snow belt off Lake Erie. The Genesee River meanders through the heart of that county, north into Rochester. Kent and I spent a lot of time in our youth in and around that river. We found our stories there. Well, I asked Kent if he had any transgressions to report. I was being somewhat facetious, but he answered with an enthusiastic affirmative. Since he is a noted North American author, presently living in Toronto where he plies his trade, writing essays and fiction, I asked if he might be interested in writing a piece for the main presentation of one of my podcasts. He kindly agreed. It came in form of a handwritten letter, written with fountain pen. I will read it to you, putting myself into his narrator's shoes the best I can. Sister Beverly and Brother Bob will join me for a short roundtable discussion of Kent's piece for the conclusory segment of our program. So, let's go have a listen, folks, to... A Youthful Transgression by our friend Kent Nussie. When you mentioned writing about a transgression, I thought, what a great writing class assignment. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if Nancy Barkas had given it to us? <laughs> and of course, the word transgression implies youthful. What seemed like a major crime, but was merely a foible of youth. Of course, some foibles are more colorful than others, but here's mine. Let's go. Back in the mid-60s, when I was not quite an adolescent, but no longer a kid, I was going through an intensely unhappy and lonely spell of my early life in Holton. This was probably a year or two before the Welts moved to town. I hated school and had not yet latched onto art or literature as an escape from the milieu I felt mixed in. Sundays were especially hard. I had to 
Rise early and spent nearly the entire day in church or religious instruction. First there was Sunday school, then church, a few hours off in the afternoon, then right back to youth group, and then the evening service. The day was all about church, coming and going and going again. The youth group then was structured for preteens, everyone between the ages of 11 and 13, I think. Older kids, uh, but not quite teens. We met in a dingy dark room in the chapel basement. I think it was used as a practice room for the college music department. I remember it smelled of valve oil for brass instruments. Now, I can't quite recall the other kids that attended. I know Shirley Mullen and Eileen Lindley and Jeff Princell were in it. Maybe Matt and Ned Woolsey. The leader was a low-energy, middle-aged woman from the town. Was there a Mrs. Spicer? Who was not, God bless her, particularly sorted for dealing with young people. Anyhow, this very sober and serious woman led the youth group and I felt myself going quietly crazy in those pre-evening service sessions. I felt deranged with boredom. I suspect you recall the feeling all too well. Well, on one Sunday evening youth group meeting before adult church, a trio of girls were presenting a musical interlude of hymns. I know Shirley and Eileen were two of them. The third escapes me. But I was sitting there, tapping my foot, crawling out of my skin with boredom, and suddenly possessed, I admit, of a particular rage at being subjected to the overly sweet piety of the moment. Alas, fate had equipped me with the new fountain pen I'd received as a gift that Christmas. Without any preconception of the effect I'd produced, I pointed the uncapped pen at the singing girls and snapped it forward in my doing so a volley of black ink riddled their faces and Sunday dresses. It was one of those moments that was over in an instant, yet it seemed to extend itself in slow motion so that in memory I still see the black ink surging through the air and peppering the girls' faces and dresses like machine gun fire. Pit, 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 pit. I'm sure my reaction was a sort of sick horror, but perhaps not much more sick or horrible than what I'd been feeling moments earlier as they sang. The matronly group leader pounced on me, of course. She may have taken my pen and demanded that I report the crime to my parents. She said, Kent, I'm not going to call them. 
but you're on your honor to tell your parents about this. Oh boy. I can't recall how the rest of the group meeting went, but I went straight from it to the evening service upstairs in the college chapel. As that service progressed through the third or fourth sermon of the day, a dark and breathless dread accumulated in my chest and head. Perhaps my parents sensed something amiss, but I knew they'd sooner or later discover my sin. As it happened, they learned of it sooner than I expected. Just as the service ended, just after we stood up and started to file out of the pew, Jeff Princell approaches us. He stood in front of my parents and said to me, Did you tell them yet? With his typical smart guy grin, my parents looked at me. Tell us what? From there, it all pained out pretty much as you'd expect. My poor parents were mortified. They'd raised a young psychopath, a juvenile delinquent. My character, our name, had been forever stained in the town and college mythos, exactly as their Sunday dresses had been stained. My poor mother phoned the victim's mothers and collected their dresses and washed the ink out. God bless her. But her son's reputation was spotted forever. I suppose I plotted some revenge on Princell. He betrayed me with that trademark Eddie Haskell smirk on his face. <laughs> but it was all par for the course in those generally unhappy days. The punishment, more psychic than practical, blurred into the contour of that general unhappiness. In a year or two, I snapped out of it. I turned from a brooding introvert into a wise guy almost overnight and adapted some of Jeff's tactics for myself. I hope those poor girls weren't much traumatized. I knew them cordially all through high school and college. But God knows what they really thought of me by then. But what I think about now is that fountain pen. It was a light blue Parker pen, part of a set that included a mechanical pencil an uncle had given me for Christmas. Now looking back, I find it a little odd that at 10 or 11, someone would give me a fountain pen. What did that uncle see in me then? Looking back, of course, it seems like a portent of the writing life to come, the life I would eventually for better or worse, disappear into. There you go. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I'm writing this now with one of the many fountain pens that litter my desk. These days, a fountain pen seems a sort of quaint artifact, but back then it was a weapon, 
an outrage, a veritable smoking gun. They say there are no bad dogs, only bored dogs. And I guess I was just a bored dog back then. I'm sure I committed worse transgressions, but I think in most of them one could see the shadow or silhouette of something, like a pen, that would become a positive function, perhaps even a redemption in adult life. Funny how that works. Maybe you went through something similar with music. I'm sure I was happier as an adolescent than as a pre-adolescent. Perhaps because I was able to think through what was going on a bit better. But I'm sure that as kids, we were confused with both anger and shame especially in that wacky evangelical context. Oh, all that has changed now. The evangelicals blended into the Repu Republican Party, and no. I'm sure their bottom line, like everyone else's now, is money. But back then, we had to find our way out of all that on our own. It was hard to know exactly what was going on. I'm sure the Houghton parents thought I was a bad kid. And maybe I was. Amen, brother. Thank you, brother Kent. Ah. Well, do you think little Kent was a bad kid? Oh, <laughs> nah. I kind of felt sorry for the kid. She sure was. For the moment, anyway, don't you think? What do you mean? He admitted he was possessed by the writing demon. <laughs> oh, maybe his Parker fountain pen was possessed. You know, <laughs> it's funny how certain memories flash out like a star from that murky soup of the past. Okay. No pencils, uh, but got a couple pens. Got a fountain pen? Oh, no, not a fountain pen. <laughs> no, nope, don't worry. I only have fine point roll tips here. Here you go, brother. Oh, thanks, now, PK. careful what you do with that, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to get the titles of this. Nah, you don't really need a pen, Brother Bob. Just Google it online. Type Kent Nussing and then hit search. Nussing. N-U-S-S-E-Y. N-U-S-S-E-Y. Kent Nussing. Author. Just type it in. You'll Use your iPad, Bob. Oh, oh, sure, sure. Okay. Got it. My, yep, my, 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 Wallace Stegner Chair at Stanford. Oh, I see. MFA at uh, Syracuse with Ray Carver. How cool is that? Yep, I'm proud of me, boy. I love reading his works. 
he, he's a musician playing the uh, the words something profoundly American about his settings too. Yes. Yes. And we enjoyed your presentation of Mr. Nussie's letter, PK. Yes. I'd say, and I think Brother Bob might agree, that the idea of uh, guest contributors being featured in some of these podcasts is a brilliant one. Agreed, agreed, certainly, certainly. I'll say a hearty amen to that, Sister Beverly. Now hit that yellow music button. You betcha. May we all find our way. Thanks for listening, folks. Yes, I'll say a second to that. And Thanks for to listening, that, folks. I'll add. Amen.